Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is the Bee Podcast. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's solo episode of the Bee Podcast. On April 9th, my youngest child turns one. He's our third and he's our last. And although I'm so excited to celebrate this milestone, it has made me seriously reflect on all the things that this past year has included. A year ago, I found out that I wouldn't ever set foot in my classroom to teach the OHS graduating class of 2024 ever again. And then at the same time, I gave birth to our last son. I had so many complex emotions in such a short amount of time, and as we know, in the future of April 2020, there would be no shortage of change taking place in the future. It was an absolute, unknown, terrifying, unprecedented time, and this episode was recorded and broadcast as a Facebook Live in our subscription group during that time called The Hive. You'll know what I mean when I start greeting people as they logged on to watch. So since this is pre-recorded and since Clark turns one this week, I thought it was a perfect time to air this solo podcast of me only sharing my heart as a teacher and a mother of three, saying my hardest goodbye and my most wonderful hello. As, as you pop on, make sure that you comment uh, that you are here. I would love to um, see that you're here and say hi. I'm going to go ahead and get started. So pregnancy and delivery during the pandemic of 2020, I've thought about talking about this for a long time. Um, and since we had kind of a, a cancellation for our schedule, I thought this would be a perfect time to, to discuss. So this conversation is live. Make sure that you are commenting so that I can have conversations with you as well. Yeah, this is live. Um, I think some people might be a little bit confused because this is our first live in the hive and not on the podcast. So um, I feel a little bit badly about that, but I mean, we're, we're doing things. We're doing things a little bit differently this month. So I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. So yeah, the start of this pregnancy was very, very unique um, in that I, I honestly had just lost like 25 pounds. I had just lost a bunch of weight. I was feeling really good about myself. I had, I, I was making really lots of healthy choices. I was super content with the way that I, that I felt my, my, my image of my body. Hi Mia. And I felt, I felt like I was in a really good place physically. Um, but in the summer, last summer, the summer of 2019, yeah, I started noticing that my chest, hey Kaylee, my chest really started hurting like and I never I've never normally had like breast tenderness with pregnancy um but I think it's because I lost so much weight and then all of a sudden um they were you know getting larger really quick and I didn't understand what the heck was going on so um that was my first symptom of pregnancy and um obviously morning sickness followed 
I just felt dizzy. I felt really dizzy all the time. And so what I decided to do, uh, and TJ and I joked all the time about, oh my gosh, like, what if I'm pregnant? And he was constantly like, um, that's not funny because we're going to need a bigger house. And I thought, you know what? It's fine. It's totally fine. It's fine. We're fine. Um, but it ended up that this dizziness, like I remember being in the, I don't know where we were going, but we were in the truck one night and, uh, we were driving and I was like, man, I'm just so dizzy. I'm just dizzy. With that dizziness, I thought, okay, well, the ne- like tomorrow I'll just take a pregnancy test. And I think I had some on hand. So I took a pregnancy test the next day, and I remember running down the stairs. I like the clear blue pregnancy test because they definitely can, like, they tell you, they, like, tell you really quickly. Um, and it says, it, like, writes, like, pregnant. It's like a digital, it's, I, pref- I prefer those. So, um. It read pregnant, and uh, I went downstairs, and I remember going downstairs, like, quickly, and TJ said that he remembered me telling him that, uh, he remembered, he remembered me coming down the stairs, like, fervently, and he said, I knew in that moment that you were pregnant, and so I came down the stairs, and I was just in tears, because I thought, you know what, we are so fortunate, we are so fortunate, and that it hasn't, like, we, we've never... We are so fortunate in that we haven't struggled to get pregnant ever. And we've, we've really been blessed in that way. And I feel very thankful for, for that. So we found out in like July that we were going to have a baby. And I thought, oh my gosh, this will be perfect. You know, it's, it's 2019 still, guys, you know. So everybody, every, everyone is really full of, <laughs> of hope and totally oblivious to what is about to hit the fan, you know, in the next eight months. So we were very, very excited. We actually got someone to buy our home. Uh, we didn't even, like, we knew that we needed a bigger house at that time. We were in, I, I was in love with our home. We lived on Woodland in Ottumwa, Iowa, and it was a, um, it was a beautiful Tudor-style home, and it was built in the 1920s. It was gorgeous, like, um, the wrought iron um, staircase, the glass door handles, I mean, original woodwork, it was beautiful. And um, we were really, really fortunate to have, you know, lived in that house, number one. And then number two, we were so, um, we were so fortunate that it sold so quickly. So we didn't know, like we knew that we needed to move, but then someone came to us and said, hey, Um, I think it was Jim Klingman. He said, hey, I've got someone who's interested in buying your house. I know that you said like a couple months ago that you were looking to sell. Um, Someone is interested in buying your house. Worked out really well. Someone bought our house. We didn't even have to put it on the market. Uh, But we did go through a realtor just because we are like young and we didn't know what the heck we were doing really because we never sold a house. We bought a house, but we hadn't sold a house yet. So that was was really, um, really cool that we were able to do that so easily and everything seemed to be going really smoothly. We found a beautiful acreage out on bluegrass where we live now. It's got a huge yard. It's got a furnished basement. It's, um, it's just a, it's just beautiful. Uh, we, I, we love this house. Uh, it was outdated. And so the woman who lived here, uh, was elderly. She was living in a care facility at the time. And so yeah, it was just outdated. So I had given TJ, you know, we moved in in September. So we found out we were pregnant in July Sold our house in August, moved into our new house in September. It was actually homecoming week, um, and I was the head cheer coach at that time. Now Mia is the, che- the head cheer coach, 
And um, it was it was just like a super stressful time, but things were coming together. And so once we had um, once we had moved, you know, I had given TJ a timeline like, okay, we need to have most of the renovations done before the baby gets here. And my husband is really like, if you know TJ, um, you know that he's really good with his hands. He and his father did most of the work to our house, and so we were just really we're just really fortunate on how that all played out. Um, we got new flooring, we painted new trim, all the, all the furnishings that, you know, would help us feel solid about, you know, ha having most of it done before the baby comes so that you can feel rested and restful and able to take care of a thing that is a living, helpless thing, right? So we got, we got it. We got the house, made the you know, made some of the renovations on our own. And, um, yeah, it was a really easy pregnancy for the most part. I had, um, it was really stress-free, you know, except for some of the re-renovations that we were doing to the house. Um, I did change my doctor a couple. Well, one time I, this might sound funny to some of you guys, but listen. So my husband had never met the doctor, like, this time around, pandemic, uh, not necessarily pandemic, but maybe it was just because our third child, um, I always needed somebody to watch the kids. I mean, we, we had to have like care for our kids if we were to both go to the doctor. So that wasn't necessarily like a, like a logical thing for us or like a doable thing for us at that time. So what we ended up doing was he would stay home with the kids. I would go to my OB appointments and there was a doctor there that I was seeing who seemed to be really um, knowledgeable, but maybe it's my own bias and maybe it's my own issue that I should probably work out. But this was a male doctor who was, who had graduated the same year that I did. Now I'm not saying that he was like, that he didn't know what he was doing. I'm certain that he did. However, there's a thing that I noticed about him <laughs> that made it even more uncomfortable. Bad teeth. He had bad teeth and I don't know about you guys, but I feel like if you're going to be up in my lady parts, I'm going to need you to not look creepy. You dig? So I made an executive decision at that time to visit someone else, find a different doctor. I was, I had like with Eloise and Calvin, I had female OBs and I had a beautiful experience with both of my OBs. I had a wonderful experience. But the thing that drew me to Dr. Fancy, which is so funny to like think about it now, but in her bio and in like this little video, you can watch on the Pella Clinic online, you know, they, these OBs, these doctors have their biographies out there for everyone. And it said, yes, yes, Lauren, Satari was fantastic. Did she deliver yours? Talk to me about that. Um, but Dr. Van Z's bio, her little video said that when she was a little girl, she wanted to be, I can't remember if she wanted to be a vet or, or what, but she delivered a, she delivered a baby calf one time, like the first time she delivered a baby calf, she knew at that moment that she wanted to be an OB. She wanted to deliver babies. And so I know the the comparison to cows is probably offensive, but I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, like my, 
the Romermans, my family, that like were cattle farmers. Like my grandpa Dean, who Clark is named after, was a cattle farmer. And um, but yeah, so I knew that that I don't know if it's like a comfort or like a nostalgia thing, but she delivered a cow, and I was like, oh, home. So I had a really great experience with Dr. Mansi. Things were going well progression going well I um, I was able to continue physical exercise while I was work while I was pregnant um, I felt really good uh, I was the healthiest this was the healthiest pregnancy that I had um, with Eloise I gained like 70 pounds with Clark I gained with with Calvin I gained like 50 and with Clark I gained 35 I think which is, you know, uh, uh, you know what they suggest, and so I felt I felt really proud of myself. Um, I tried really hard to keep the baby and myself healthy. Everything seemed to be going really smoothly, and then I remember going to school because I teach. I remember going to school the week before spring break, and I remember telling my students, and I might get, I don't know why I might get a little emotional while I'm saying this. Um, but I remember, like, I am just an awkward human being, like, just straight up. I am just, I just, like, say the weirdest things. But I, but I loved my students last year. And I love my students this year, too. But last year, I remember the week before, think, or the week before spring break, I had told my students that I would see them later. And as I told them, you know, goodbye. Oh, have a great break. I said, don't catch the Rona. <laughs> and, um, because at that time, you know, watching the news and I didn't, we didn't think it was a real threat here. And so I had made some, just some like stupid, awkward jokes that now I look back in hindsight and I'm like, oh, that was really insensitive. <laughs> um, it was just the last time that I saw my students in that capacity. So, so my kids left. I was really excited to start spring break because I, you know, it was the last break that I would have until, it was the last break that I had until, you know, my baby. Things seemed very optimistic still. I still, I'm still very emotional, even when I see them, you know, today, like, because you still don't know if it's okay to, like, give them a hug. Like, you know, they come to that, you know, I, I taught eighth graders, and so last year they were eighth graders. Now they're ninth graders, and they come to Evans, the middle school in which I teach, you know, for volleyball practice after school, and I see them, and I want to hug them, and um, it's it's a, it's still, like, a, a tender thing because you don't know if that's acceptable yet, um, and you want to respect those boundaries, but I miss them. I miss them a lot, and... Um, I was very excited about this time that I would have with with my children. I thought, you know, we're gonna do we're gonna do some exciting things. I'm gonna make time for um, for my kids, for my Eloise and my Calvin before baby brother gets here, and it's gonna be great. And then we received word very quickly. It seemed that we weren't gonna be going to school for the next few weeks, and it really caught me off guard. I didn't really know how to process that. At first, I was like, oh, good, good. You know, this will be good because I'll have extra time with my children. But quickly, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember hearing a rumor that the government was going to set forth martial law because, I mean, this was like two weeks in after 
after spring break had ended, I heard that martial law was going to be enacted and we were all going to have to stay at home. And so I remember calling um, my brother one night and I told him, I told Kyle, I was super nervous. I was like, I, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, am I going to be able to even leave my house to go to the hospital to deliver my baby? I, I don't know when I'm going to see you guys next. Um, lots of lots of big emotions because this was right when things started to get very, very heavy. Uh, and we weren't sure of the severity of, of the pandemic in America. Because, you know, like when you think about yourself, you're all in your brain, you're always um, kind of immune to bad things that are going on around you, okay? So it was just crazy. So we heard that we were going to be, martial law was going to take place. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that happening or if you remember that rumor, drop a comment. Um, <laughs> like looking back now, I'm like, oh, irrational. You know, I had heard like on a Thursday that martial law was going to go into effect on Saturday and then Saturday came and nothing happened. And then, you know, Sunday came and nothing happened. And then I had an appointment in Pella, you know, after, after that, nothing came of that. So I continued to go to my OB appointments, but it was scary to me, the changes that took place in that amount of time. So within that time, I had noticed that now fevers or uh, temperatures were taken there were little stops that you had to make every time you went onto a hospital campus. So um, you were checked twice before you went into the building. Uh, You had to wear a mask to enter. Things that really made made life seem cold and kind of unforgiving. And so the thought of being completely out of control of my circumstances, you know, Six months ago, I couldn't have been more happy to bring a new baby into the world. But at that moment where I went to my doc, my OB for the first time after school had been, you know, canceled for the, for the foreseeable future for the next couple of weeks, I was absolutely heartbroken because I thought, what have I done? I am bringing a baby into a world that is broken. And I knew that it was broken before. But there's a significant chance that the baby that I am going to have is not going to survive. So all of these fears played into played into my thoughts. You know, staying at home and having conversations with my children and telling them, you know, we're not going to go to school for the next couple of weeks because it's not safe just yet. That was just really terrible. You know, my four-year-old son didn't totally understand it. But my six-year-old daughter did, and she missed her teachers, um, and she missed her friends, and it was hard. It was really hard, and it felt very lonely, um, especially as a person with, I want to say pre-existing condition, but that's not what I'm talking about, but someone who's at risk, someone who was considered at high risk, felt really uh, heavy. It felt very, very heavy. It was a an incredible time in history um and it was an incredible time for for lots of people for lots of different reasons but there was there was this overwhelming sense of guilt and regret not that I was regretting that I was going to have a child but I was regretting the the world in which I was bringing him into so my time came my due date was April 12th we decided um I at this point you know I, I don't know if time just seemed like it got longer or what but as 
anyone who has had a baby knows that last month of pregnancy seems like it's forever. And so I had a conversation with my doctor and I said, hey, I am over this. I'm done. This is, I'm exhausted. She's like, well, since this is your third child, why don't we set an induction date? My due date was the 12th. We set an induction date for the 9th. And my husband was able to then plan. There was, I mean, so many mixed, mixed emotions with all of it because we were having a baby, but we hadn't seen, you know, our family in, you know, about four weeks. And then to ask our families to watch our two older children while we went away for three days to have a, have a new baby was really, really difficult to be away from them for so long because I had literally been with them for tw literally 24 seven since the shutdown happened. So, so we were, so we were ready. We were ready to have this, um, this conversation of, of, you know, we're just, we're going to go do this. And, um, the thought of not having my mother in the delivery room, the thought of not having my mother-in-law, Amy, in the delivery room, who was a nurse was terrifying to me because I knew because they had been in the delivery room with me for both of my first two children. And there was comfort in that. I mean, Amy, I mean, my mom, who else do you want other than your mom when you are, you know, in so much agony and you're in so much pain? Um, so like having your mom in the room was, was something that I think, I think a lot of women in like find comfort in. And, you know, having my mother-in-law who was a nurse was always very comforting to me because she knew exactly what I needed. Um, and she wasn't afraid to advocate for me. Um, in my previous two pregnancies, but then there we were. It was just TJ and I. And I will tell you that laboring in a hospital, everyone masked, everyone with shields, felt so cold. There was nothing that was warm about it except for the physical bodies of my nurses whose hearts ached. Like you could, you could sense the ache that my nurses had while I was being induced. You could sense the ache in their hearts, in the OB wing for all of these moms who were delivering babies that they were so thankful for, but were so uncertain about the future. So you could sense the ache and the turmoil in all of the nurse staff. And um, oddly, I felt so comfortable. I felt so confident. Um, yes, this was my third child and I knew exactly what to do and I felt like my body knew what to do and I felt like I had taken care of my body and trained my body enough to know what to do. I labored. I labored. I see. I, I was, I was induced at, I think 9am and I didn't start active labor until about one. They use that little pill that they insert and then it's supposed to like soften your cervix and all that jazz, but it did not work. And then the Pitocin that they were using, I think my nurse was a little sensitive to all of the things that were going on, but my body needs an extra kickstart. So my body needed a lot more Pitocin, but she was trying to ease me into it. And it ended up not being enough of what I needed to kick me into labor. So eventually she upped my Pitocin. My doctor was like, no, 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 no. She needs to have much more Pitocin than this. People, people talk about Pitocin being awful, but I would disagree. I mean, I, I, I guess I had a natural labor with Eloise, uh, but I also had a little bit of Pitocin with Eloise. But my, my last two labors, I had Pitocin and I don't feel like it's any different than 
maybe what I would have experienced if I didn't have any. And and maybe not, but I felt like I was like a rock star, okay? And that's the crazy like juxtaposition of all of this. While I was in labor and while this pandemic is going on outside of the walls of the hospital and while everything seemed to be out of control in my um, life at that moment, I oddly felt comfort and that I knew that my body knew what to do. I knew that my body knew what to do and I felt comfort and I took comfort in that. So once I started contracting, I knew exactly what it was and I got really excited because I knew that, you know, he was on his way. He was going to be here really soon. I was like, let's, I want to get in the tub. I'll get in the tub and like a jacuzzi really, um, really helps, always helped me to calm down and relax and focus on my breathing and like breathing through the pain. So I was really proud of myself because I was able to get there. But there's this... <laughs> The thing that was different this time around, there was a monitor. Instead of, you know, on your belly, they put those, um, like, the monitors to monitor the baby's heart rate and all that jazz. There was an electric version of it, what was, like, cord-free. So, but it was, like, Bluetooth, so it was, like, hooked up to the hospital stuff. All the, like, the ultrasound, or not the ultrasound. What is it, the, what is it called? Drop a comment. What is that called? It, like, monitors your baby's heart rate and everything. I can't remember what it's called. The monitor, whatever, the monitor. It was connected to the monitor via Bluetooth. And so it was on my... I can't remember if it was on my belly or my back. I think it was on my belly. But it was like, you know, up really high, checking, you know, monitoring the baby. Um, and the doctor was like, you can totally, you can labor in the tub, you can labor outside of the tub, just try not to get it wet. Or if you get it wet, just don't like submerge it in water. So I knew that my body reacts really well. It, my body really does well with 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 hot water. Um, and so I got into the tub and I was like on all fours, you know, not on all fours, but I was on my knees because I labor best that way. And I was on my knees and I was laboring and I was so proud of myself because I just kept breathing through every contraction. And um, then my flipping monitor fell in the water and I was like, well, I've ruined this. So I had, to, I was like, do I need to get out? And they're like, no we're certain that you're fine. So, so they didn't monitor the baby for a little bit. Um, but I, I, I was doing okay and things seemed to progress. It got worse. I mean, it got uh, further and further and I made it to an eight, eight, um, centimeters before I requested, uh, an epidural, which I was really proud of myself because I had never made it that far before. <laughs> I was really proud of myself. I made it to an eight. It was so funny because while we were waiting for, they couldn't get a hold of the, um, the anesthesiologist to come to my epidural. I couldn't get a hold of him. And I was at like an eight. <laughs> and they were like, maybe just try and distract her. So my husband was like, talk, like TJ was talking to me and he, we were like quoting the office and they gave me like this, I don't know what it was, some sort of like pill or something in my IV. Um, but it like, it dulls your senses for just a second and then you amp right back up and it was just, you know, the awful pain of contractions. And sharp. Oh, it was so sharp. I, and I think it's because I had never gotten that far before. I really felt how sharp it was. Um, so kudos to all you moms who didn't do it without anything, without any epidural or anything. You guys are my heroes. You're the real MVPs. Made it to eight, had my epidural, felt crazy pressure still. And then I knew that it was time to push. And there was something so, I mean, I have a wonderful, I have a wonderful husband and a wonderful partner who, you know, would be proud of me no matter what. Um, but there's something about having a baby in general that is incredible. And then having your spouse 
or your, your partner, your significant other right there with you as you are performing this incredible feat. I was able to do it. Clark was born. I had to push maybe twice, but I knew that my body knew what to do. Um, I knew exactly when I was needing to push. I knew all of those things. It was, it was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And as he, as he came to me outside of me, they put him on my chest and, um, the first thing I noticed about him was that he didn't have any eyelashes. No, the first thing I noticed about him was that he had this giant mole. He has this, like, giant birthmark, okay? And I was like, oh, <laughs> you have a birthmark, which was beautiful. And then I noticed that he didn't have any eyelashes. I was like, where are your eyelashes? I was like, Dr. Van C., where are his eyelashes? They're like, they're there. Just, he's wet. <laughs> so, so I had him and... I'm thankful that I've always been able to nurse really well, and so my baby's nursed really well. So I was able to nurse him, you know, right away, and it was just a wonderful, beautiful experience. I think that, and I'm thankful for the fact that while I had this experience of having a baby in a pandemic in a hospital that felt cold and, you know, sterile compared to what I had felt before, there was the the beauty in that my nurses were right there with me and my nurses felt for me and you could you could you could just like feel their compassion and their love and their warmth. And it was really it was really beautiful because, you know, although it is a terrifying and scary thing, it was beautiful and I'm so thankful that I got to be a part of that. I'm so thankful that my baby is a pandemic baby. Maybe not a product of a pandemic, but he was born in a pandemic. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful that we had that experience and I'll tell you why. So after we had Clark, we named him. We named him Clark and um, my doctor said she had never heard, she, she's never delivered a baby with the name of Clark. And I was like, well... Here he is, Clark Griswold. And he was wonderful. He just, he like totally, totally melted our hearts. He was calm. He was very calm. And my husband and I didn't turn the TV on once in the hospital. It was silent most of the time. It was silent. I mean, my body was still healing. I felt, again, I felt confident and my body knew how to heal. I, my body knew what to do. I knew how all of this was supposed to transpire. That's the only thing that I didn't know um, was how life was going to look after I left the hospital. And I remember writing, I remember writing while I was in the hospital that I, I didn't know what it was supposed to look like when we even left the hospital. I mean, yeah, like I said, we didn't turn the TV on once. We didn't, I mean, we talked, we spoke minimally. We just felt comfort and solace in each other's presence because we had just done one of the hardest things to do, I think. And we did it together by ourselves without anyone else. And I will tell you that one of the greatest things is not having anyone visit you in the hospital after you have a baby. It was the greatest thing. I mean, it's not like I just blew out my crotch and, oh yeah, you want to come hold my baby? Great. Sure. Yeah. Let me put my glasses on. Okay. That was the greatest thing that I didn't have to, <laughs> I didn't have to do. I didn't have to like, you know, seem any way that I wasn't. And there was so much comfort and solace in that, that it was, it was just so incredibly comforting to me. I mean, I kind of wish that up on all new moms who are, you know, giving birth, like 
maybe just don't allow anyone to come visit you in the hospital. It was really great. Um, because otherwise you feel like obligated to like, oh yeah, you can come. I, it's fine. I'm still hemorrhaging out my hoo-ha. Like, so anyway, I was really excited about, um, the fact that he and I had that special moment and we had those special moments alone together immediately following the birth of our last baby. I remember writing on the way, um, home, but as you leave the hospital after having a baby in the pandemic of 2020, April, we came home on April. So we had him on April 9th at 10:59 PM on April 9th, 10th, 11th. I think we came home on the 11th leaving the hospital you were escorted out because you needed to go the quickest way possible or they led me and my husband through the most efficient route with the least likelihood of infection or contraction of COVID-19 and they led you out a back door while you were masked and while your baby was covered in a blanket so that he wouldn't contract anything. And I remember getting in the car and I remember putting him in the car seat, putting his car seat in the in the latch in the, in the in the base of the car, and I remember just crying because I had no idea what our next steps were or what it was going to look like. So then, as I proceeded to go home, we drove past my in-laws' house. Before we drove past, we pulled in the driveway, and we lowered the window in the back seat and they both had masks on and they stood far away and they were able to see Clark and we just cried because more than anything more than anything I wanted them to be able to hold him more than anything I wanted him I wanted them to like feel him and you know how newborn babies are but I but that wasn't a reality for us at that time so we went home and soon my parents brought over my children, my, my, our older two kids, and they stayed a reasonable dist distance back and they didn't touch him. And there's something about not, I mean, the fear at that moment, you know, April 11th, Kim Reynolds had, I think, recently declared that school would be closed indefinitely for the rest of the school year. There was something about the finality of that and the severity of our circumstances and how real everything seemed and we had no idea when it would end. And honestly, we still don't. We're just adapting. But having a new baby is hard in general. But then having a new baby and not being able to accept help or support or fear that your baby might lose his life felt really just indescribable. I had had my mom with me, you know, for days after my other two were born. I was able to nurse easily. I was able to, you know, with, with when I had Calvin, I was able to send Eloise to daycare while I bonded with Calvin. But now with Clark, I was not able to bond with him the way that I might have had my children been at school. It was the three of us for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in it, in the thick of it, not completely 
okay. Our fuses were short. It was a really, really frail, fragile time. And I remember telling Eloise that she wasn't going to have, she wasn't going to be in school for the rest of the year. And there were a few nights where after a long day of being together for hours upon hours upon hours, for days upon days upon days, at bedtime she just broke down and she cried. And I cried with her. And that was really difficult when your child is aching and you're aching and you don't know when it's going to end, when the aching will end. And all you can do is just hold each other because that's really all you can do. And we prayed. Oh Lord, I prayed for forgiveness all the time. I mean, our families didn't get to hold or see Clark for, I mean, other than FaceTime for about two months after he was born. And even then, it was terrifying. It was terrifying to have anyone touch him or hold him because we had been in living in so much fear of what if. And I am so thankful that he, you know, and, and we vaccinate our children and, you know, what where you stand on that is where you stand on it with vaccinations, but we vaccinated our children and I couldn't wait till his first vaccine at two months because I was like, oh, he's protected against something. I mean, even now for labor and delivery, there are different things that people are experiencing. You know, on the post that I made that we were rescheduling and this was going to be our topic of discussion in the hive tonight, someone had mentioned that she had pushed through a mask. I'm thankful that I didn't have to push through a mask. I didn't have to have a mask on my face while I pushed and breathed and, you know, tried to gain my composure before, you know, pushing again through a mask. But there's something to, there's something to be said, even though this was one of the most difficult experiences of my life, I am so thankful that I have a husband who is so dedicated to me. I am so thankful that I have such a wonderful husband who is dedicated to me and is dedicated to our family. And to have that support while I was breaking down after having a baby and staying at home, um, while he went to work, you know, he, he got a couple weeks off of work, but then when he went to work, I felt like I was going crazy. But I'm, I mean, oddly, I am so thankful for this experience because not everyone has a baby in a pandemic. And I feel fortunate in that we had our baby at the beginning of its entrance to America in the United States. I, I feel fortunate that we were able to have a child at the front end of it, even though there were so many things that were unknown. I feel fortunate, I feel thankful he is thriving. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm so proud of my family. Um, and I think that any parent, any mother who is, who is expecting to deliver in 2020, I want to offer you my encouragement and support and that it will be unique and it will be hard, but it'll be so awesome. It'll be such a wonderful growing experience for you. And my encouragement would be to not live in the fear of what if, because that can be debilitating. And for me, it did become debilitating. Instead, live in a space of knowing what you can control and what you can't. And what you can't control 
is your outside surroundings. But what you can control is your immediate, your immediate surroundings. So don't apologize for, for what it is that you and your newborn baby need and do, do that because girlfriend, it's going to be difficult to bring home a baby in a pandemic. It's going to be hard to navigate. And what I would say for those support people, husbands, partners, friends, moms, make certain that you are building up your, your friend, your daughter, your wife, build them up, give them grace, allow them to feel those big, big feelings, help them to work through it, but ultimately offer encouragement and support of whatever decisions that they make. That would be my encouragement to you. Yeah. Don't borrow trouble. And Jackie, it is so nice to have a rock solid dude. I mean, my TJ is quiet and steady. And I so appreciate about that. Appreciate that about him because honestly, that w- I mean, I will never forget that experience of staying in a hospital with just my husband and I and our new baby. I will never forget that. We laughed so much. We cried. We we just really had a unique, wonderful, beautiful, awful, terrible, crazy, scary, bizarre opportunity. And it was, it was once in a lifetime. And I'm very thankful for that. And so if you are set to deliver a new baby in the pandemic of 2020, I offer my encouragement and my support of you because it's not going to be easy, but you are very capable of doing it. And I want to offer my support and my thanks for listening to me as I shared my experience giving birth in a pandemic. It was truly a beautiful bizarre experience and I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I feel very fortunate that I was able to live through it and tell the story. So I hope you all have an excellent evening. Go enjoy your night. I will talk to you all very soon. Have a wonderful night and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.